Beyond the Paper Gown inspires, informs, and empowers women with the latest information about our health and healthcare choices. Join in for provocative conversations with scientists, clinicians, policymakers, and innovators. Beyond the Paper Gown is hosted by Dr. Mitzi Crockover, internal medicine specialist and women's health advocate. The following information is for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. This information is not intended as a substitute for professional therapy or medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hello, and welcome to Beyond the Paper Gown. I'm Dr. Mitzi Crockover. I'm going to bet that you, the listener, are a caregiver, either for kids, parents, or other loved ones. Most caregivers are women, so that wouldn't be a surprise. But did you also know that two-thirds of people with Alzheimer's are women and that women outnumber men with dementia two to one? So we have lots of women taking care of people with dementia who are also at risk of dementia themselves. Today's episode is actually part one of a two-episode series. We have so much good information to share, I split it up for you into two episodes. On this first part, we'll focus on caregivers, which so many of us are. We'll talk about lifestyle choices we can all make that can reduce our risk for dementia as well as positively affect our overall health. In the second episode, we'll focus more deeply on dementia, especially the two most common causes, Alzheimer's and vascular dementia. We'll talk about genetic risk factors, the effects of hormones, and highlight some really wonderful resources that our guest has shared with us. So let's get started. Our guest today is Dr. Emily Wong, an internist and integrative medicine specialist. Integrative medicine focuses on the whole person using therapeutic approaches from both Western and complementary medicine. Dr. Wong, or Dr. M, as she's known by her clients, also serves as a health coach for women caring for loved ones with dementia. We'll find out why this is so important to her and how it has guided her work. It is my honor and privilege to introduce today's guest, Dr. Emily or M. Wong. Dr. Wong is an internal medicine doctor specializing in women's health and integrative medicine. She's also a brain health coach and CEO of Integrity Healing. Welcome, Emily. Thank you. I'm going to call you Emily probably as well as M because that's how I've known you for how many years? Of course. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, in fact, you and I have known each other since um, the founding days of the Iris Cantor UCLA Women's Health Center, yes. and then you went on to the University of Washington as medical director of UW's uh, Women's Health Care Center, and then became vice chair of clinical affairs in the Department of Medicine and chief of the medical staff at the University of Washington Medical Center. And in the meantime, you've made quite the pivot, so please tell us about that. Sure. So um, I have, uh, I guess, pivoted a little bit away from primary care, although I still consider myself to be a primary care doctor. I am currently working with brain health and um, doing some coaching in that and really trying to help people to um, prevent dementia. So protect their brains. And a lot of that comes down to lifestyle interventions, which is, of course, right in the middle of, um, you know, kind of our wheelhouse in primary care as well as uh, with coaching. Well, as you know, this podcast is focused on women over the age of 40. Um, and, you know, again, you've been uh, focused on women's health, integrative medicine, and now you're coaching caregivers. So how do all of those uh, 
integrate into um, into what you're doing? Well, my vision really is to empower women and specifically caregivers to really take charge of their own health, to really take responsibility for their own health, to understand that, um, you know, while caregiving is a very time consuming and feels like an overwhelming task at times, I would say that, um, you know, they need to understand that they need to take care of themselves. And a lot of times that is, it comes down to lifestyle choices. So it's not necessarily something that a doctor or even a nurse um, or health practitioner is necessarily going to be able to do for you. We're talking about very um, basic things like getting enough exercise, getting enough sleep, um, really, you know, eating right. And a lot of times when you're a caregiver, it feels like, you know, it's a very consuming task day to day to be taking care of your loved one. And, um, you know, your yourself as a priority or self-care falls to the bottom of a long list of things that you feel like you need to do. And there may be a lot of fear about uncertainty in the future. And what we really are trying to do is um, help to educate people around sort of what I call mindset dexterity, which is like learning how to solve the problems as they come up. Um, so that's the coaching part, but also understanding the neuroscience, the sort of brain science behind how behavioral choices, lifestyle choices can really impact not only their physical health, but actually also their mental health as well as their brain health and help them protect their brains. And as we know, and as we've seen in such stark reality um, with the pandemic, that women tend to be the caregivers for the mm-hmm. most part. They may be caregiving for children, but as you're focusing on caregiving for older loved ones as well. So how do you coach these caregivers to take the time to make those empowering choices? Yeah, you make a really great point. I think that, um, you know, when you're a caregiver, you're often not just a caregiver really for this older population, but also for your um you know, for your kids, there's something called the sandwich generation, which I'm sure you're aware of, which, you know, most of us fall into. We're taking care of our kids as well as our um, elders. And um, I think that for the most part, and this might be, you know, sort of a little bit of a feminist statement, but I would say that um, women are socialized um, to be the caregivers and we are socialized to hang our self-worth and our enoughness on being able to take care of others. And it's almost like we're only worthy because of what we can, you know, do for other people. And so a lot of what we're doing in the brain health coaching is really to help them understand that, first of all, they're worthy enough, even if they don't do anything. Um, But more importantly, um, I try to orient uh, women who, especially if they've been involved with motherhood in any way, to understand that those impulses that come to us as mothers, that that impulse to love unconditionally, that impulse to take care of your kids, um, no matter what, or your um, if you're not a mother, you might be taking care of a niece or a nephew or some other, um, you know, vulnerable and perhaps fragile younger individual. We need to do that for ourselves in our own brains, because our brains are fragile and vulnerable, our physical brains. And if we can orient our minds to take care of our brains, then our physical brains, then that's where that 
that loving, being loving kind of dynamic comes from, where that energy comes from. You even have a hashtag, mom, your brain. Right, yeah. (laughs) I love that. So talk a little bit, you now mentioned, um, you make a differentiation between the brain and the mind. Mm -hmm. So what is that difference? So there is a little bit more of an abstract kind of like experience that we have of our lives that we kind of filter through our minds, right? We see through our minds and we interpret life through our minds. But the physical brain is this very fragile organ that weighs about three pounds, right? It's capable of incredible things. It's the most powerful supercomputer in the world, right? It's more powerful than any AI, more powerful than any technology that we've been able to come up with, right? And yet it's this very fragile organ that we don't really pay enough attention to in terms of taking care of it, right? There's been a lot of focus on sort of heart health. There's been a lot of focus on cancer prevention. And what people aren't aware of is that when you engage in those healthy behaviors, you actually are also protecting your brain, your physical brain. And let's talk about those specifically. Um, when you talk about risk factors for dementia um, and uh, and also lifestyle factors that we can impact on, what are you talking about? So uh, there's a long list of risk factors, um, beginning with age, beginning with being female. Female mm-hmm. sex um, actually increases our risk for developing um, uh, dementia Um, There's risks that involve your cardiovascular risk factors. So it's going to be cholesterol, it's going to be hypertension, um, high blood pressure, it's going to be your um, diabetes. Um, There's, you know, smoking, there's um, lack of exercise, there's being overweight, there's not getting enough sleep. Um, There's really quite a long list of risk factors that, um, you know, it's going to be different for everyone. What are the parameters in terms of suggestions with respect to how many hours of sleep, for example? So, um, yeah, so sleep is an interesting thing. It's going to be different for everyone. And um, so my answer is that typically between about seven and a half to nine hours is what's recommended, but that is an average. And what it's based on is actually our individual sleep cycles. So for the average individual, a sleep cycle is 90 minutes, and that's for us to be able to get from our sort of non-REM sleep through the four stages of you know sleep and then into our REM stage, right? So typically 90 minutes, and typically we're going to want to go through about six of those cycles in the course of a night, right? But the problem is that some people have an 80-minute cycle, and some people may have a 100-minute cycle, right? And so that's where there's that variability. If you're interested in finding out what your natural sort of amount of sleep that you should get is, I would just say, turn off the alarm clock and just go to sleep for a week and see what time you naturally wake up, right? And so for some people, that might be six and a half hours. For some people, that may be nine and a half hours. So it's going to be variable depending on what your personal pattern is, right? But that's the only way for you to know what your body prefers is just to allow it to kind of do its thing. With respect to exercise, more aerobic exercise, stretching exercise, doesn't matter. So the main thing I'm going to say about that is similar to the sleep thing. There's no one size fits all, right? So it really depends on what your um, goals are. 
So if someone is um, going to, you know, be in a good BMI range, a good body mass index, or you know, normal weight, right, um, according to the body mass index, right, and you're comfortable with your level of sort of um, mobility, you don't have a lot of aches and pains, you're happy with the level of your strength and so forth, then there may be some standard recommendation like 150 hours of moderate cardiovascular exercise per week that's based on research. Wait, wait, 150 hours? Sorry, 150 minutes. Sorry, Sorry. there's only 150 hours in a week, right? So it's not going to be 150 hours. I misspoke. No worries. Um, Yeah, yeah. So um, so 150 minutes per week, and that's a standard sort of like CDC, you know, very broad population-based sort of uh, recommendation. But what I'm going to say about that is that it really depends on what you enjoy. So what's going to be enjoyable, sustainable, you know, something that you can do consistently um, over time. And that might be just walking the dog, right? That might be like going for, you know, a 10 or 15 minute walk a couple times a day with the dog. And that may be your 30 minutes, um, you know, five days a week, 150 minutes, right, per week. And that may be good enough for you. You may want to add in some weight training in there. I mean, it really kind of depends a lot on your individual kind of um, profile. And that's where these Alzheimer prevention units like Richard Isaacson's work at Wild Cornell and and these other places are really moving much more towards um, a paradigm called precision medicine, which is where we individually sort of tailor or customize um, a program for you based on your individual risk factors. If someone wants to avail themselves of this precision medicine modality and their doctor may or may not know about it. Is there a resource for them as well? So I would start with um, the Wild Cornell site, the Alzheimer's universe. Um, There are, I believe um, currently around 33 NIH funded Alzheimer's prevention research um, units. Now they almost all have clinical sites associated with them that are doing Alzheimer's prevention work across the country. Many of them will do consultations remotely. So even if you don't live in a city where they have that available, then um, that's something that, that should be, um, potentially, you know, a resource that you can make use of. So, yeah. Terrific. We're talking about also, again, focusing on caregivers. So, and with that comes a lot of stress. Mm-hmm. What's the impact of stress on dementia? So um, I, I'll answer your question on two different levels. So one is an, as an integrative medicine doctor, and the other is sort of more kind of um, in general, looking at the statistics. So as an integrative medicine doctor, what we know is that stress is something that is um, sort of an experience that we have, right? And it causes certain emotions in our body, right? And what we know about emotions is that they actually cause chemical cascades to happen in our bodies. So let's say I'm stressed about my finances, right? And how does that stress, how do I experience that stress? I I experience it as anxiety. I experience it as fear. I may experience it as frustration, right? And as a brain coach, what I can tell you, right, is that we can help you manage those emotions, right? But meanwhile, what's happening in your body from a chemical standpoint, from a biological standpoint, is that there may be hormones that are being released in your body as a result of these feelings, right, that are causing you to go into this fight or flight state. And the fight or flight chemicals, right, are going to be things like adrenaline, things like cortisol, right? So these are fight or flight hormones. And if we're constantly sort of 
having these hormones happening in our body, like circulating in our body, then that's going to cause our blood pressure to go up. It's going to cause our heart rate to always be high, right? It's going to cause potentially gut problems, right? It might cause our breathing not to be as, you know, um, calm or, or slow, right? So if we're always in what we call the sympathetic part of our nervous system, right, which is this fight or flight, then over time, that can actually lead to more and more damage to not only our blood vessels and our gut, but also to our brains. So that's kind of from the integrative medicine standpoint. And then I kind of like threw in a little brain coaching in the middle there too, <laughs> that we can actually manage the stress. Um, we can change your experience of stress oftentimes through brain coaching. Um, and then uh, just sort of looking at the statistics side of things, what we do see is that stress reduction activities, however we choose to define that, actually have been shown to reduce the risk of dementia. So for example, meditation, and that can be mindfulness-based um, stress reduction type. If we look at like engaging in the parasympathetic or the stress reduction, the rest and digest type of activities, what we find is things like prayer, um, you know, whether it's exercise, whether it's um, music, right? Whether it's sort of um, spending time with loved ones, like socializing, like those kinds of activities that we typically think of as being stress reducing actually do improve your outcomes, um, reduce your risk for dementia. I just was reading about research about a purposeful life, extending one's lifespan. How does that impact on one's brain span, if you will? Right, right. Yeah. So I love having this concept of um, sort of lifespan, which is, of course, how long we live, health span, which is how long we're healthy for, and then brain span, which is how long our brains are in good working order. And of course, we ideally would like all three of those things to be equal and for all three of those things to extend to 100. So that's what I call my kind of B100, you know, sort of campaign is to really help people be more intentional and women specifically be more intentional about sort of this, you know, next stage of their lives. For many of us, we think of like reaching retirement. Let's say we're in our, you know, 50s, 60s, we're looking at that kind of horizon retirement. And we sort of think, okay, well, after that, I don't know what's going to happen to my health. I don't know what's going to happen to my life. Right. And, and when, when, when we're sort of very passive about that, Right. I, I'd like to challenge that as a coach because it's almost like you saying, well, when I'm 60, like I'm just going to retire and I don't know what's going to happen to me. Right. But actually, most of us will plan proactively for retirement financially. Right. We're going to look and see when can I retire? You know, when will I feel like I'm comfortable financially? And we can do the same thing with our health. Right. We can proactively plan to have a healthy sort of like let's say 70 to 100, right? That sort of last decade of life. We want to make sure that we have a vibrant, healthy, active time to spend with our children, with our grandchildren, um, you know, and be able to travel or enjoy life, right? And, and have purposeful sort of contribution and continue to share our wisdom and our experience with the world. It's not unusual to have people picking up different uh, interests and maybe even different careers. And I, and I strongly encourage that because what we're seeing also is that one of the things that really helps us with um, reducing dementia risk is having this purpose in life or ikigai, 
Um, so that's a Japanese term that refers to sort of like our purpose in life. And when they look at sort of like these Okinawan populations where people live to be 100 quite routinely, what we're seeing is that when someone has a purpose in life, then they're much more likely to be able to stay engaged. And the thought there is that we are um, in many ways, sort of we think about these brain games you know, kind of like doing crossword puzzles or doing- I was going to ask you about that. apps and things like that. We think of these games as being a way of engaging our brains, which is a good way to engage our brains, right? But it doesn't, to me, it's different than ikigai or purpose in life because it doesn't engage your heart, right? So when I do a crossword puzzle, my heart's not involved. It's really just my brain, right? But when I'm doing this work, right? When I'm teaching about taking care of your brain, my brain is involved, but my heart is involved. My heart is in this. I want to help other women because I am going through this exact same experience right now. And I want to share my experience, right? And I think that's something that as doctors, we don't do enough of because I can't tell you the number of times I'm in a consultation and I'm talking to someone about exercising or about, you know, like, you know, what they eat or how much they sleep. And and oftentimes, you know, the patient will ask me, well, what do you do, Dr. Wong, mm-hmm. right? And as doctors, we're a bit squirrely. We're taught <laughs> not to, you know, share a lot, you know, disclose a lot personally. And as a brain coach, what I can tell you is that, you know, when we put that barrier up between ourselves and our patients, right, I understand that there's a need to do that, to have that professional distancing, but we also fail to engage at a heart-to-heart level with that individual when we're not willing to sort of be as human as they are, right? So as a brain coach, like what I've had to learn to do is to step away from being a doctor, to step away from having that professional distance and be like, hey, I'm a human like you. I'm a woman like you. I'm a woman who's a caregiver like you in my midlife. And I'm staring down the barrel of this thing because I have family history, because I have an APOE4 gene. That is so powerful. I am doing this along with you. I may be two steps ahead of you on this path, but come with me. We can do this together. I don't know if you caught that last part, but Dr. Wong just shared with us that she carries one of the genes that could put her at an increased risk for Alzheimer's. As you might guess, this experience informs her work and her passion to help others in a similar situation. In our next episode, We'll continue our conversation with Dr. Emily Wong and talk more specifically about Alzheimer's and another cause of dementia, vascular dementia, that often occur together. We'll address the genes and biomarkers that are associated with increased risk of Alzheimer's. We'll talk about hormones and how they factor into this conversation about dementia. And we'll talk about when to seek help for ourselves and our loved ones. You won't want to miss this important episode. I do hope you'll join us if you enjoyed today's episode. Please subscribe. For more information on this episode or for additional episodes, links, and comments, find us at beyondthepapergown.com or follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. This episode of Beyond the Paper Gown was produced by Patrick Shambayati and Dr. Mitzi Krakow. Until next time, stay healthy and centered.